Reading from Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How many of you heard lines like this, or even spoken lines like this, about life or about church? What happened to our church? I can remember when the church was full. When Christmas Eve was packed. I remember when the parking lot was full. When people dressed up for church and were quiet during the prelude. Why don't my kids or grandkids come to my church? Why don't my kids or grandkids go to church at all? Why is technology changing so fast? Why are so many people going to such large churches instead of small churches where they can know everybody? People used to ask where you went to church instead of if you go to church. You were expected to go to church. I remember when nothing was open on Sundays, so you went to church. You couldn't really go anywhere else. I remember when people used to care about their denomination. You were Presbyterian because you were certainly not Methodist, and you knew the difference. I think maybe this church is going to close We're just trying to keep the doors open. And for heaven's sakes, don't spend any money. We might need it someday. Right? We've heard these things. Many churches have heard these things. I remember when I came here and interviewed at Westminster about six years ago. uh, And I met with several of the church members here. And I left with two intuitions. It seemed to me that Westminster felt down about itself. That the church had sort of circled the wagons a little bit, just tried to stay open. But at the same time, I had left that meeting with a sense that the church was ready for something different. There was already an energy starting, and I, and I think it's important to point that out because it was, I didn't bring it. It was here before I got here. That it was ready to kind of survive, to stop surviving and really start thriving. We've been on a quest, you see, a quest to be stronger, more faithful, to thrive as a church. And there have been lots of challenges on this quest so far, but this church has risen to face them. Certainly part of the challenge is the world around us, right? I mean, the world around us is changing so fast. It's not an easy time to be a church. Many are shrinking, some are closing, and the the, The reasons for that is is really complex and multifaceted. Yeah, what's my word? Faceted, yeah. The rate of change today is astonishing, right? The technology that I carry around in my pocket, on my phone, would astonish the scientists of 40 to 50 years ago. And it's in my pocket. Our thinking is changing. What we believe is not based on the testimony of authority figures anymore, but more on our own experiences. Tolerance used to mean that we could agree to disagree, but now it seems to mean that everybody's faiths and beliefs are equally true. 
We look around this church today and we have multiple generations. And those generations are different. Churches, like people, also go through natural bell curve sort of life cycles. Where you grow and then you sort of plateau and then you decline. And many of our churches, especially in mainline denominations, are in that decline portion right now. One of the biggest challenges for the church today is the major change in expectations in church attendance, right? Used to be, if you were a regular attender of church, you were in the church building two or three times a week, right? You showed up for all kinds of stuff. Now regular attendance at this church, and at most churches, is two to three times a month. That's really good attendance. It's understandable. People, it's natural to visit and travel or get sick and have trouble getting out. But it does make this church feel a little less full than it used to. Also, it used to be that there was a stigma of not going to church. You, you just, you didn't not go to church. You were expected to go to church. That's not the same in our culture today either. In fact, if you wanted to go out to lunch after church, you used to have to dress up so you looked like you went to church. Has anybody else done this? You didn't want people to know you didn't go to church. Now, all bets are off. There's no, there's no cultural significance to, to really going to church anymore. These external challenges have created and, and, and uh, accentuated some problems inside the church, some obstacles that the church has to get over. And I think for our church, we've been facing three important ones. Three important ones. First, I think it's a challenge to balance how much to change and how much to stay the same. Everybody's felt this challenge, right? We are a church based in a tradition, a history. We are God's people and start part of a very old story. And at the same time, the church has always changed to meet its culture. It's always been an expression of the place where it exists. Just like the language. A church in Germany wouldn't sound like us because they would be speaking German. Just like the language changes, the expression of the church in different places looks different. And if our culture changes, the church has to change with it. So how much do we change and how much do we stay the same? And that's a tough balance to have. Many mainline churches are facing this same obstacle. And it, and it gets even more emotional than that, right? Because while the world around us has changed so dramatically, what's the one thing that stayed relatively the same in our lifetime? The church, right? Our kids and grandkids have moved away. Our jobs have changed. Companies we worked for our entire careers aren't even there anymore. Stores have changed. All kinds of things have changed. And what's the one thing? The church has stayed relatively the same. So when you go to change something in the church, you know what you often get? You get an emotional response. And it's not just because we changed the color of something or the carpet was changed. Or it's because we're also reacting to all these other changes that we coped with by keeping the church the same. You can understand that response. But, but the church has to find that balance, right? Of keeping to its tradition and also keeping to the new. Of, of seeing that we have multiple generations and multiple people and preferences in this church. And trying to be a church to all those people. Or we could do what a lot of churches do and just be a church for this kind of person. Or this kind of age group. And I don't think that's what the church is called to really be. We've probably felt this tension the most in music, right? As we've tried to wrestle with how do we do music at our church in a very multi-generational sort of setting. And we've landed on that we, we mix our styles a little bit, but we're still primarily hymns 
even if they're done on guitar or some other instrument. But music is not the only place where we have felt this, right? We've done some new things like mission trips and pet blessings. But we've also rediscovered our history. We fired up the clothing ministry, rejuvenated apple dumplings. We've leaned forward and leaned back like a kid on a swing set. You've got to kick forward and you've got to kick back at the same time. And that's not easy to negotiate. And we as a church are kind of working in that tension. Another obstacle for us as a church, as it is for many churches, is the financial struggle. The giving in this church, if you track it over time, has been stable or declining for a number of years. When the church was a, at a, had a part-time minister, we were putting money in the bank every year, but still that number was going down. Even when we were putting money in the bank, I can, I, can, I can tell you stories, I've heard stories about how long it took to make decisions about spending money because we just weren't sure. We just didn't want to overextend. We had the mentality of circling the wagons and doing whatever it took to keep the lights on and keep the doors open. Somewhere along the line, this church took the bold action to take me on as a full-time pastor as I was getting out of seminary. Full, the church had not had a full time in some years. This was made possible by a gift by Grace Makita of our home to the, to the church, which kind of put it over the top to say we have a parsonage, we don't have to pay rent for a pastor, and this really might be worth trying. I think that decision was huge for this church. And I don't think it was really huge because I was here or because suddenly we had a pastor here more hours during the week to do more. No, I think that was an important decision for the church because it was like one of those decision points, one of those key moments where we said, we have a future. We are going somewhere. We're going to thrive. We are not doomed. You see, I think we've had challenges of of old and new and, and, and balancing those two. We've had financial troubles, but underneath those things and exposed by those things are the real problems. The real problems relate to fear and lack of confidence. Can we afford things exposes the deeper question, are we good enough? Are we worth fixing? Does God still have a plan and a purpose for this church moving forward? On the one hand, we are encouraged by the scripture that Jesus builds his church, that he's doing something in the church, and that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. On the other hand, we know that the scripture is talking about the church at large, and that local expressions of the church are not guaranteed to be here forever. The church of Corinth is not the church of Corinth anymore. See, we've got to know that, not just as a theological statement, the gates of hell can't prevail. We have to learn to celebrate the good things we're doing and believe it about ourselves. It is not an easy time to be a church. Many are shrinking, some are closing. But we've been on a different trajectory. In the last couple of years, we started with some small wins, some visual changes. We got new banners, cleaned up the place, some painting, a new sound system, a new bathroom. We got a color copier so that we could have color bulletins and just trying to brighten things up. Apple dumplings. We, we uh, remembered the fire that burned our church in 1963. And then to celebrate this new building in 2014, 50 years at this location, we retold the history of the church. It was a great moment of, of that swinging, swinging forward and ticking back looking at the history of where we've been, but also kicking off 
a three-year capital campaign called the next 50 years. We made a list of projects and ranked them in importance. We needed a new boiler. We needed a new roof. We dreamed of a lift. The ability to help people get from one floor to the other floor in this church without having to go down the stairs or out through the parking lot. I remember people talking about how we would never afford that elevator. In fact, I've been told that in the last month. I remember people discussing whether we were going to do the roof or the boiler because it was assumed we were never going to do both those things. But your response has been overwhelming. We kicked off that campaign with, with enough money that we bought the boil, we put in the boiler and the roof that fall. We did it right away. No loans. We had the money outright. And we have slowly been building up the funds toward that elevator. Now we come to the point of the sermon that I've been building to. I got some really exciting news for this church. When we look, when we look, we, we try to separate this a little bit. When we look at our operating budget, in other words, what comes in and the plates every month and what goes out, we have been intentionally using savings to cover full-time ministry. And that number keeps getting smaller and smaller. I thought it would be a little bit even better than this, but last year we were at a negative $6,330 for the year. When it all added up, just on the operating budget, that's what we needed in savings to cover our costs. That number, again, keeps getting smaller every year. But here's where we're really winning. Giving has continued to come in, and at the end of last year, we received a special gift of $14,000 towards our lift. Okay, that means last year, we raised $37,468 to the capital campaign, just last year. All together, we have brought in, to date, $84,039. $84,039. I had people tell me there was no way we were going to do anything close to that. And we're halfway through the campaign. We are excited around here. Right now, we have $43,219 in the account for the lift. $43,000 plus sitting there for that lift. The elevator is estimated to cost us about $72,000, meaning we've got more than half of it in the bank. And here's the exciting news. There's, there's been a group of us that have been meeting to sort of plan this out, playing out the capital campaign. And that group met just a couple weeks ago, and we've decided that we're there. That we have the money in the savings to cover this elevator plus what we have already. And we have decided we are putting that thing in this spring. We're doing it. Y'all can clap if you want. It's a pretty exciting <laughs> Right? I've been on the phone this last two weeks with contractors, borough managers, architects. And uh, we think we can do this. We think we can do this, and we are excited, Lord willing, all the paperwork and everything coming out, this thing can go up pretty quickly. So what we're going to do is use our savings, Uh, we have some money built up in savings, we're trying to be careful because we are running a little bit of a deficit on the operating budget side. We don't want to use up our savings too much, but we look at the numbers and we think, we can do this, and we can do this now, and we have people that need it now, and so we are jumping. We are so excited. That means... To put this in perspective, when you look at 2014, 2015, I cannot find more generous years for this church in terms of giving. I can't, I can't do it. I mean, since we built the church 
and you'd have to factor in the, the cost of a dollar back then versus now. I mean, we have had two of the most generous years that I can find on record. So what should we say? Was God faithful or were we faithful? Well, I think biblically it's both. I think biblically it's both. Think about some of the Bible stories. God saves Noah's family, but Noah's also got to be faithful in building the ark, right? God calls Abraham and sets him apart, but Abraham's got to obey and leave the house of his father and mother and go where God tells him to go. God sends his son Jesus, but Jesus has to submit to God the Father in the garden. He has to say, not my will, but yours. So praise God for his faithfulness to us. God is showing up and doing great things in our midst. This is a miracle. I was told again and again this was not going to happen, and it's here. Even the most optimistic among us didn't think we were going to be doing this much this fast. Praise God. But I also want to say to you, the congregation of Westminster Church, thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness. I'm so proud of this congregation. I am so honored to be with you in ministry. I love that God has called me to serve you. And I am excited about what God has for us in the future. Because this isn't like an it is finished speech. Okay? This is like a halftime speech. Okay? I really think God has more in store for us than this. And I'm excited. God just put a big thing in front of us here. But God is not done with us yet. So, to celebrate this, as a session, we really talked about this. And we have just been really so amazed by the outpouring of generosity and the response of this congregation. So, to celebrate, this session is decided today we are going to put on a special surprise thank you luncheon for this congregation. And so we've got food, we've got it catered, it's downstairs. The session of the church is going to serve the meal as a big thank you. Because what we know as a session is that um, we can make plans and try stuff. But what's making this go, the engine, the hero of this story is you all, who are responding so greatly. And so we say thank you. We've got a ton of food downstairs, and uh, we are going to have way too much food. So you need to come down and join us for food as we really say thank you. I hope you're excited. I hope you understand how special it is what we are doing and what God is doing in our midst because it's not happening to every church. It is a very special thing and I hope that you help keep us going, that you continue to give, you continue to show up and you continue to be part. You invite your neighbors and your friends and you tell them, hey, you want to meet God and see what God's up to. Westminster Church is a good address because he's going to be there. And so thank you for what you're doing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for showing up at our church and for doing such great things. We give you all the praise and glory. And I do thank you that you choose to work like you do so often in the people or in the Bible through your people and through their faithfulness. And so I pray that uh, your will would be done. Pray that as we make plans for this lift, things would come together miraculously. And that as we celebrate, we would appreciate you working in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.